Well, friends, good morning once again. Let's turn together in God's Word to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Today we're going to focus on verse 4. If you have a pew Bible there, you'll find this on page 1014. read verses 3 and 4 of this text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again together. Father, as we come to a text like this, that speaks of inheritance, that speaks of heaven, we're in need of help. We're in need of help to see beyond our own world, to see the beauty and truth of eternity, and the beauty and truth of the gospel that will take us there. Father, by ourselves, we need more than intellect, we need more than words, we certainly need more than the communication of information to really get our arms around these truths. And yet, by your Spirit, we can. We can understand all that you have for us to understand and be blessed in the process. So, Lord, that's our prayer for this time. Use it, we pray. In the perfect name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning I have three points, and they are all in this bag. But before we get to them, a story, or perhaps some stories. Once upon a time, there was a great wizard who lived in a far-off country. Once upon a time, in a hidden forest, there was a poor woodchopper. Once upon a time, a deep sleep fell upon all the inhabitants of the palace. Or maybe Lucy. You remember Lucy? She's playing uh, with her siblings in a large old house and she comes across this old wardrobe and she steps inside to hide. And then with her arms outstretched, searching, grasping for the back of the wardrobe, she suddenly finds herself in the middle of a wood at night, snow under her feet and snowflakes falling in her hair. If not Lucy, how about Alice? You remember Alice drowsing by the fire with her cat when she sees a strange twinkle on the mantel place and with a delicate step she climbs up to find that the looking glass is turning misty, silvery even and she is then able to step right through it. If not Lucy or Alice, I'm sure you remember Dorothy. Her Kansan farmhouse caught up in a cyclone, whirled up and up, around and around in the stormy sky until it finally comes to rest and then the wee girl inside opens the door into the land of Oz. Through Narnia, through a looking glass, through a cyclone, once upon a time, once upon a time through a wardrobe, through a looking glass, through a cyclone, each discovered that the world we see is not the only world that is. And once upon a time, God 
agreed. He agreed that the world we see is not the only world there is. He foreshadowed his own fairy tale by giving his Old Testament people an inheritance. It didn't come through the wardrobe or the looking glass or the cyclone, but came, you remember, through the desert. Out of Egypt with sand in their toes, they ate manna and quail. And they grumbled and their bodies were scattered in the desert and even their leader fell at the final hurdle. And yet, through it, through it all, they came to that land flowing with milk and honey. You never ran out of milk and everything always tasted sweet. It was a prosperous land they could call their own. No longer sojourners, no longer aliens, no longer scattered and dispersed. They had a home. Now, of course, this physical land was not the fairy tale itself. A great and glorious place, no doubt, but hardly a world beyond our own. Inheriting the promised land was just an illustration, it was just an echo, it was just a sniff of what God was really up to. The true fairy tale he tells us about in First Peter chapter 1. You see it there in verse 4? So far, Peter has told us that we are beloved and chosen by God. He has assured us that God is kind beyond our wildest imaginings and has set his love upon his own so that those who have faith in his son would know that they might be saved. Yes, he's told us that we're exiled and dispersed, but more than that, he's told us that we're blessed, that grace and peace have been multiplied to us to the point that we can now be called born again, a new creation. Last week we saw that we've been born again into hope. We have a certainty, a confidence, a guarantee as we look to the future. And now though in verse 4 we read, Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy he has caused us, yes, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But also to, you see it, an inheritance. Inheritance that is what? Imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Another inheritance awaits. A true and greater promised land, you could say, where the believer will no longer be a sojourner, no longer be an alien, no longer be scattered and dispersed, but will have a land that is their own, a land that they can call home. Beyond this world lies not Narnia, Not wonderland, not Oz, but heaven and the inheritance that awaits. The inheritance of eternal riches, the blessings of salvation, a share in his heavenly kingdom. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in heaven? It's interesting that the vast majority of Americans do. But while we, on one hand, generally feel positively about it, we, on the other hand, often feel a little disconnected to it. Heaven is a mysterious and enigmatic topic that's hard for us to get our minds around. Now, we could point out, of course, that the Bible actually has quite a lot to say in in describing what heaven is like. Three things, by way of example. First, the Bible has quite a lot to say about, about what heaven looks like. Describes heaven as as the new heaven and the new earth. Pictures it as a city or as a country. 
In other words, heaven isn't to be pictured as all clouds and whispers, but is a solid place of earth and sound, a place much more like our current world made perfect than floating around on the clouds. But having told us, firstly, what it's like, the Bible also tells us, secondly, who will be there. And it paints this beautiful picture of, of God's people. First of all, all your ancestors who had faith in Jesus. Your great, 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 great granddad. Secondly, all your loved ones that have faith in Jesus today. Thirdly, and peculiarly, and, and, and so intriguingly, all your descendants who have faith in Jesus. A million years from now, you may catch a glimpse of someone who turns out to be your great, 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 great grandson. And you'll say, huh, you look like me. (laughs) What a beautiful thing that awaits. Of course, who's there, not just God's people, but also the angels and the other spiritual beings. And primarily and ultimately, of course, God himself. Father, Spirit, and chiefly Son. Who we will see face to face no longer as in the glass darkly. Scriptures tell us a bit about what it's like. It tells us who will be there. It even tells us a little bit, thirdly, about what we'll do. Yes, certainly a place of worship as we get this glimpse of the, uh, all who have been gathered in heaven giving praises to God. This spontaneous overflow of emotion as they celebrate who he is and what he's done for him. But more than worship, also work. We get descriptions that lead us to believe that the new heavens will be much more like Eden than, as I said, floating around on the clouds. And so there'll be activity and energy and maths and science and technology and arts and language and sports to be explored to his glory for all of eternity. And not just worship, not just work, but also rest. Rest from every burden. Rest to every satisfaction. Yes, the scriptures do tell us a good deal about what heaven looks like. But interestingly, that's not Peter's concern. Peter isn't really trying to describe the appearance of heaven as much as he's trying to describe the experience of heaven. Focusing not on the appearance, but on the experience. And so in verse 4, he gives us these three terms to define what heaven and our inheritance is like. And he tells us it will be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Let's look at each of these words briefly together. First of all, he says that heaven is imperishable. It will not perish. It's not subject to death. Like all the treasures that are stored up in this world where moth and rust destroy, unlike those things, heaven will not die. It's not worn out, as it were, by the passage of time. Which takes me to the first thing in my bag. And here it is. You ready? Now, I have to tell you a story about this. I have to tell you two stories, actually. First one from eight years ago, the second one from about an hour ago. Okay? The story that is an hour ago is that I pulled this out. And you know, we, we've been in the States 11 years now, so there's very f- few kind of cultural like, terms that we use differently that I've not picked up on yet. You know, trousers, pants, all that kind of thing. I'm, I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm bilingual now. Okay? You know, I, I, feel, I hear you, I understand you. But from time to time, one comes up. And first and second services, one came up as I held this aloft and said, a pot plant. (laughs) I want to clarify, this is not a pot plant, okay? (laughs) 
That would be a bold and audacious move. To, uh... No, apparently, Rosie, apparently this is a potted plant. Who knew? I don't know. So, that's the story from an hour ago. <laughs> the story from eight years ago is that when we arrived uh, to pastor here in McLean as an assistant pastor, and I moved into my new office, Rosie bought me a potted plant. Actually, honey, that's the, I told them Rosie brought me a pot plant. That was the actual line, so... Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Rosie bought me a potted plant and um, what, what I did with the, this, this lovely potted plant Rosie gave me was um, in my office, big bookcase put it on top of the bookcase right? uh, Rosie comes in to see me I don't know, a couple of weeks later and says oh where did you put the plant? and honestly, that was the first time I'd thought about it since she gave it to me okay? so up I look and there's this brown dry dead Apology of a potted plant. Right? Um, and I kind of had that moment, you know, that moment where it's like, what am, you know, am I, am I going to come clean here? Or, you know, like, what am I going to say? And she followed my gaze and was onto me like that. So, um, yeah, the plant, the plant died. Now, why, why is this a good illustration for me? It's a good illustration for me because um, what happens to the flower, it fades and it withers. And so many of the things in our lives are like that. So many things in our lives are like that. Our hearts on earth say in the midst of a great and joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end. But invariably, it does. And so summer becomes winter. And youth becomes frail and toys break on Christmas morning and cancer diagnoses come. And things die. It's the way of our world. One theologian says, to know love is to know pain because over all love stands written, to death do us part. Not so in heaven. Heaven and our inheritance there is described as imperishable, meaning it will not die. It is not subject to the passage of time. And in heaven you will say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. A year will pass and the joy will continue. Ten years will pass and the joy will continue. A million will pass and you will realize that it is time beyond time and is in fact lasting for eternity. Without death, without end, Unlike the potted plant. <laughs> it's the first thing we see. The eternal nature of our inheritance. Second thing we see comes just in our, our second word. An inheritance, yes, that is imperishable, imperishable, but also that it is undefiled. Now this is getting really to a different idea. Not so much talking about death, but talking about the purity of the thing. The term undefiled is used often in the Bible in connection with sin. Things that have become polluted, tainted, stained by sin. And so it is, Peter tells us here, that, 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 that heaven won't experience that kind of decay. That sweet things will not become bitter. The heaven and our experience of it will not be tainted, polluted, or stained by, by anything. It takes me to the second thing in my bag. 
this bottle of milk. Okay. I'm a kid. I don't remember how old I am. I run into the kitchen. I open the fridge and I grab the carton of milk. Now, what has my mother told me to do a thousand times? Okay. Not to drink from the carton of milk. I flick open the top and I just chug it. The first thing I experienced, the very first sensation I had was the lump. (laughs) And I felt it before I tasted it. (laughs) And then I tasted it, and then I sprayed it. (laughs) Um, Milk was sour. You know, I leave this here, even next Sunday. You come along, put some in your coffee. Um, You too might experience the lump. And so it is, sadly, for so many things in our world. It's not that everything dies, but that things that don't die are often spoiled. So that great job that you started with great enthusiasm and optimism turns out to disappoint you. And that relationship you had, perhaps that relationship that you thought would last till death, sours or ends in divorce. And that decision that you felt good about at the time later you come to regret. The thing itself is soured and no longer good, but in fact brings harm. And Peter tells us, not so with heaven. It's not just that it will go on forever in a kind of state of mediocrity or worse, bitterness. It's that it will go on forever in a state of purity. That your enjoyment of the thing will not be spoiled by, by decay. That its perfection will continue in a pure, unadulterated fashion. It's the second idea. Heaven will not be defiled. Our inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled. And then you see the third word there, it's, it's plain to see. Our inheritance is also unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, again, this is getting at a different idea. A different idea to, to death or to something spoiling. A different idea to perishing or, or going sour. And what this really has to do with is, is really the, um, we could say, the quality of our experience. Let me explain with my third item. This is my Scottish driver's license. Now, clarify. It's a blown up copy of it. We don't have massive driver's licenses in Scotland. You know? We walk around with huge wallets. Hello. You know? um, this is a, a blown up copy of my Scottish driver's license. Pink, I'm not sure why. Um, expiring in 2020. Good to know. Um, this is it. Um, in Scotland, you have to be 17 to get your license. And I remember the day. You go through the rigmarole of learning. You're going out with your dad and giving him a heart attack and then getting some lessons and, and practicing and practicing and practicing. And then the day comes to sit your test and you're nervous. And you're anxious. And, and, and you're excited but fearful. And then you sit the test and you pass. And there's a thrill. And there's an exhilaration and there's a rise. And suddenly you think, I could get in this car and drive anywhere. Withholding the fact that in Scotland, you know, you're never further than 40 miles from the sea. (laughs) So, can't really drive anywhere. But that's how it feels. Boundless potential. Unlimited options. You could go anywhere. 
And so you open the door and you get in the car and you put your seatbelt on and you crank it up and you think, freedom. I didn't feel that way this morning. Did you? I got in my car and drove a little grumpily to Starbucks. (laughs) The thrill, the exhilaration, the joy has faded. Now don't get me wrong. I'm perhaps more glad that I can drive. It's perhaps more useful to my life than than I have the ability to do that. But it's not the same. It doesn't light the imagination. It doesn't set the affections on fire. It doesn't give you that sense of freedom and joy and options when you're sitting on the beltway now. Why? Because so many things in our world, even if they don't die or even if they don't spoil, just the enjoyment of them fades. Perhaps it fades quickly like your driver's license. Perhaps it fades slowly like an old photograph. But in time, the enjoyment of the thing itself so often doesn't have the impact on us that it once did. And Peter says, not so in heaven. Not so in heaven. Yes, never die. Yes, never sour. But also, never fades. Never fades. In other words, you will not get bored of it. You will not start to twiddle your thumbs and be anxious about what else you might do. Your experience of this perfect joy will be not just permanent, but permanently intense. Putting these ideas together, we have this glorious notion of an eternity of pure joy that will remain intense forever. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And we're given these, these terms, we're given this language, not just so that we might know what's coming, but so that it might impact us now. These aren't just, you know, a sort of a little bit of insight so that you won't be so surprised when you get there. These are signposts that are meant to direct the way we behave today. And so Peter writes to these Christians who are struggling to figure out what it means to live in the culture that God has placed them. They don't feel like that. He writes to them and he tells them about heaven. Why? So that in the midst of their uncertainty, they may experience deep security. That in the midst of their suffering, they may experience joy. In the midst of their struggle, they'd persevere. That they'd find contentment when they're tempted to compare themselves to others. That their priorities would be ordered by this eternal perspective. C.S. Lewis once said, It is since we've begun to think of so little of the next world, that we've become so ineffective in this. That this eternal perspective is meant to give us a ballast of hope in our souls that enables us to navigate the day. Now who is this inheritance? Who is this great prize for? This inheritance and its implications, we're told, are, verse 4, look at it again, kept in heaven for you. Well, who's you? Who's Peter referring to? He's referring to the same people that he's been referring to all along. Those who know they are beloved and chosen by God. Yes, those who are exiled and dispersed, but those who have been blessed beyond measure to the fact that they're born again into hope. In other words, this is for 
the believer. If God has been at work in your life to draw you to himself so that you have asked for forgiveness in his name, this is what awaits you. And all that you need do to be an heir of these riches is come to Christ in faith, to ask him to be your savior, to ask him to forgive your sins. Now, does this all seem too fantastic? This talk of heaven inheritance, um, too far-fetched, too good perhaps to be true? Once upon a time, there was a far-off country, a deep forest, a palace. Once upon a time, which is to say that if you really believe there was, you're naive. We know that fairy tales aren't true. We are modern, and we're rational, and we're secular, and we own wardrobes, and have seen in the looking glass, and we've been to Kansas. And we know... There's no magic in Kansas. <laughs> Narnia, Wonderland, Oz. If you care to enter these places, you must be willing to enter them in some measure as a child, because it would take a child to believe that these things are really true. So Jesus whispers, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. You will never inherit the kingdom of God. Childlike faith to believe that the world we see is not the only world that is. Not because of the far country or the deep forest or the palace or even because of Narnia or Wonderland or Oz, but because of the world to which they all point. To the ultimate truth that their seed, in which their seed of truth is found. The land of heaven and the inheritance that awaits. G.K. Chesterton once asked, In your sin, have you grown old? And he didn't mean that chronologically. He meant that spiritually. In your sin, have you grown old? Or somewhere, somewhere deep, is there a child in you still? And when you hear of Christ and the forgiveness that's found in him, does something in your heart lift? Do you believe that once upon a time is this time now and that happily ever after might not be that far away? The gospel of Jesus Christ gives you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, having been in your word, we come now to pray for your church. Would you draw near to us, enable us to so draw near to you that we would believe that our inheritance is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and that we would joyfully leave our bondage and our sickness, our failures and our unrest, our pride and our fear behind. That we might be aware of your presence through your word and indeed through the sacrament that we'll soon enjoy. Renew our sense of how God has drawn near to us in holiness, mercy and might 
in the consuming love of Jesus.